turn to your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. If you're not already there, we're going to probably start, no, not probably, we are going to start in verse 4 where we left off. That song reminded me of something that I heard this week. It's really ain't got much to do with the sermon other than uh, where he says, is he worthy you know, of honor and praise and glory? And uh, the guy was talking about, God has all the glory, right? Like, like we don't, we, 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 he allows us to give him glory, but he's glorious with or without us. It's his. He attain, he, it's all his. Nobody gives it to him. He's not enslaved to us into our worship. You hear that from worldly point of views, you know, that, that God would disappear if we would just quit worshiping him. You know, that's what all the secularists hope anyway. But it can't, it won't ever, won't ever happen because he will always have a people that who he has given the, the ability to praise and worship and even give glory to so that was just a neat thing and that that song reminded me of it hopefully if everybody has found their spot we'll begin in prayer dear heavenly father we thank you for this day we thank you for loving us we thank you for having all the glory that we understand that glory is not for us but it's for you that we don't manufacture glory to give to you. We just give you the glory that you've allowed us to give. Lord, I pray that as a congregation that we will continue to love, to praise, to worship, to honor you. There again. I pray that as a congregation that we leave here motivated to see you glorified, to push for obedience and loving of you, that our lives would reflect you in such a way that people will come to know you. That we don't need giant programs to win the lost. But that we live and act like you. And the lost, those who you have called, will be attracted to that. Lord, be with me as I begin to open your word and, and, and preach. That everything that I say is of sound doctrine and truth. Not of my making, but of scripture Lord that hearts and minds and ears are open today to hear what you have to say Lord we love you and we thank you for your love mercy and grace amen all right so here again big E on the I chart right is let no one discard you and the whole idea is that we're going to live lives that bring glory to God and people will not be able to just turn away from that. People will get angry. People will get 
uh, uh, self-righteous, indignant. People will see God and come to know God. People will, will behave differently because you're around. Sometimes that's good, sometimes it's bad, but people will behave different because you're around. Not because there's something great about you, but because you're reflecting the greatness of God. They will not be able to discard you. The three minor points are also right here in the scripture. We're probably going to get to about verse 10, hopefully, today. But we see there are three things, three reasons to why we live the way we do. We already seen uh, last week, we were talking to the older men, older women, and we didn't get to the, uh, uh, verse 5, but in verse 5 it tells us, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. The second one is, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And the third one is, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. So our, our, in our scripture has given us three reasons, three points. Hint, hint, anyone taking notes. Three points, three reasons to why we do what we do as Christians. Now just a quick recap. It starts off by addressing the older men. Telling them to be uh, temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Older women, likewise. So you also notice that this builds, right? Likewise, likewise, likewise. The application may be different, but uh, if I remember right, you see sensible across the board. That's one word that I noticed, at least in the New American Standard, that you see across the board, the word sensible. Older women, likewise, are to uh, be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. So that they may encourage the young women. And this is basically where we stopped. We, the emphasis really was last week, that is older men and women, um, and I gave an example of they kind of consider older men and women to be 60 or above, um, you know, uh, the age to where your kids have moved out of your house type of a thing. But that being said, I'm older than my kids. I'm older than your kids. And so some of the same things that apply to older men should apply to me when I am dealing with younger people. It's a form of discipleship. Ultimately, what we're seeing is that we are examples for other Christians. We are examples for the world. And as older people, we should do lives that bring glory to God so that those who are younger than us can see how it is done. Most people my age didn't grow up being able to see how it is done. We've had to kind of figure that out on our own. And there has been, in my life, a lot of mistakes. 
Still trying to figure it out in a lot of ways. And it just says, to teach for the women, it even goes as far as teaching what is good so that they may encourage the younger women. And we finished up verse 4 just because I felt weird just leaving verse 4 halfway through. But we're going to go back over verse 4 and, and work through it. Young women to love their husbands and children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. So I'm going to beat up on the young women, which is actually the majority of people here today, so this will be fun. I told Bradshaw, I said, because uh, he's, you know, teaching, or he's going to facilitate the, the, the Wednesday night next week. I said, uh, no worries. Uh, it's just, you know, telling a bunch of women what to do. So <laughs> he said, thank you. Uh, so to love their husbands. Loving your husband is right there up front. Loving him is hard. It's not easy. If it came easy, it probably wouldn't be in here. It's difficult because men and women are not the same. Men and women are radically different. Contrary to what the world says today, men and women are radically different. We don't think the same. We don't act the same. We don't... We don't function the same, we got different hormones flushing through our bodies. We have different ways of, of interpreting situations. I look at uh, uh, a bunch of socks and I say, that's impossible to deal with, I'm gonna push it aside. Becky says, hand them to me. She sits on the bed and folds them. I look at an empty lot and I say, there's a building there and she goes, I don't see it. She's good with, the, with the, 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 the monotonous and the details of life in the house. I am good with the big things. Now, not everybody's built that way. That's just me and her. That's an example. In fact, that's the best example that I can come up with because it's us. And so, but we're different. We're made different. And God placed us together to bring Him glory And when sometimes she's sad, I'm angry. And she doesn't understand why I'm angry, and I don't understand why she won't quit crying. Because we're different. And that's if, you know, you've got a good husband. It's still difficult to love him. If you have a bad husband, it's that much worse. But God doesn't say, love your husband if qualifiers. He says, love your husband. Love their children. Your children can be aggravating. Anybody who has children will know. Some of you who don't have children still know, but 
Most of you who have children understand that children are aggravating. They're wild. They won't calm down. They don't care if you've been at work all day. They don't care if you've been cooking all day. They don't care. They're going to do their thing. Y'all quit that laughing. They're full of energy. They're selfish. They're liars. They're manipulative. And God has given them to us to train them in godliness. Really what you're looking at is women, you are to be servants to your home. To love your husbands and to love your children. God pulled Eve from the rib of Adam so that she could be there by his side, working with him, loving him, giving him what he needs to do what? To build and work the land. Where did Adam get pulled from? The dust of the earth. No wonder we're different. God created us that way. And so, women, serve your families. And that doesn't just mean having supper on the table. That means taking your children and discipling them, training them up. The most hateful thing that you can do to your kids is to give them everything they desire. Because their hearts are evil. That one right there laying on Becky's lip, lap would seriously hurt me if not kill me if he was big enough to. I make him mad, boy, you ought to see him get mad. And so, as hard as it is to, to, to love your family in this way, not, a, not an emotional love, which that's important too, but, but, but we're really not talking about an emotional love. We're really not talking about a love to where it's like you're just so infatuated like when you first met your husband or you first gave birth to your children. In those moments, it's easy to love. In those moments, it's easy to show compassion. In those moments, it's easy to serve. But seven years after marriage, they call it the seven-year itch for a reason. You're no longer infatuated. It's no longer new. The heart doesn't just flutter. There should be. It, God has given you seven years to build something deeper. Hopefully, as a couple, you do that. But to serve one another... To serve children when they're first born. Now I'm a little bit different here. I'm a little weird. But most people, whenever a baby is born, they're all, oh, look at the baby, and it's all I'm over there talking. It stinks, it whines, it, I can't get it to hush. I don't care. Call me whenever he can walk and talk. 
then I'll do business. Right? That, that's me. That's me. I know most people just love babies. Every time, let me smell its head. Smell its head. What's wrong with you? <sighs> Anyways. There again, it's easy. It's harder, though, once you get it home after about a week and he will not, or she, the child will not sleep at night. And if you're in mine and Becky's shoes, the husband doesn't wake up. Not because I don't love her or love the kids, but when I'm asleep, I'm asleep. I don't know what y'all do when you're asleep, but I'm out. Whenever they've taken a hammer to your new TV, I can't talk a lot of junk. Lynn would done that to ours. He hit our TV, but I don't remember if it was a hammer, but it was something hard. It just, you know, it's not glass like the old school ones, but it, it just, it messed up all the stuff on the inside. But when I was little, I climbed up onto my parents' TV and just drug it down and rode it down to the ground, evidently. Uh, payback it's hard to love them then it's hard to love them when a child is trying to figure out what they can and can't get away with right it's hard to love them whenever they've done something bad and now it's time to spank them and you don't want to spank them because the whole it hurts me more than it knows you may be a lie but it still doesn't break your heart. I mean, it still, it still typically breaks your heart. That's why so many children don't get disciplined today. They'll say, well, I think that blah, 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 blah. No, you don't spank them because you're a coward. You don't spank your children because you're a coward, because you don't love them enough to discipline them. The Bible says, if you spare the rod, you what? Spool. Because it's difficult. It's difficult taking someone that you love so deeply and, and, and bending them over and wearing them out. It hurts. Now, I'm going to be honest. If I spank you, it's going to hurt you worse than me, but it still hurts me. It's hard whenever they look at you and they go, please, just one more. Because you want to give them. You want to give them. But that's not healthy for them. So women, love, serve your family. Be sensible. We've talked about this well-balanced. Don't be in it. In this case, an extremist. Just by being a Christian, we're extremists. We're talking about some, hey, we believe God created the world. You know, and it's, ah, you know, freaking out. But be sensible. In other words, don't, don't allow for your emotions to take over. Don't allow for your emotions to take over. But don't be emotionless either. Some people are just cold. 
They're cold to their family, they're cold to their, their children, they're cold to their husbands, they're cold to their extended family. And then others are just way too emotional to where everything is a crisis. I'm out of coffee! We all know people like that. And you could go on and on with examples, but we, I, I'm trying not to burn up all my time today. Pure. Be pure. Walk with God. Don't be defiled by the world. Be clean in your language your deeds another way to say that is be righteous here's the part that's going to upset some people we got a smaller crowd so I reckon that may be cut in half to who it will offend but workers at home now I could just read that and people would just be like I mean, people, Christians, would just be talking about, I'm going to come up with a reason. to. And there's no, there's no deeper meaning. This is, this is what it means in the Greek, workers at home. I will say this, culture is a little bit different. Back in the day, whenever this was written, not everybody, but most families were farmers or something to that nature. And a farm was its own little uh, uh, economy. It was its own little economy. And so the family, the husband and wife were over this little economy called the family. And the wife was probably, probably, most of the time, not out there planting and cropping and that kind of thing, but still running the, the business aspect of it. So this statement is not, women ought not to be working. That's, that's not what this statement is saying. Salem, you can take a deep breath. I don't think you're in sin. Not for that anyway. There's a hundred other things, but I'll have to edit that one out of the notes. But if you're a woman with a family, your main prerogative ought to be that household. Your main prerogative ought to be that household. You should never allow work to interfere with the household. You should never allow for uh, events like dance or sports or piano or all these things that children get involved in should not take priority over the home. The man builds the home and the house, I mean, excuse me, he builds the house, he builds the structure, he builds the business, he builds the economy that goes around it, but it is the woman's job to take these bland, 
objects and make them a home. It is a woman's job to biblically to go and take these things that man has brought her and turn it into something magnificent. You buy food. And what does a woman do with that? She turns it into a meal. You buy a house. What does a woman do? She turns it into a home. Men are bulldozers. Men are meant to be ugly. Men are meant to be tough and rugged. Men are meant to be designed to see the ugliness and the unfitness of the sinful world that we live in and bulldoze a path of glory to God. That's what man is supposed to do. He was created out of the dirt. Now that looks different for different men. That doesn't mean everybody, every man needs to be John Wayne. It just means that if you are building websites or building a house, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. You are building, you are meant to be put into this world where sin and there are weeds, what is the curse of man? That the, that the, the ground would grow thorns and thistles and weeds and man is supposed to say, God, allow these things to be here because of my sin, but a perfect world does not have thorns and thistles and weeds and he starts removing them and replacing them with trees and corn Why? Because he is to build and make and design. Man sinned, the whole world felt that sin, then man comes in under, under the glory of God and starts removing the sinful things. Women then come in beside their husbands and they make sure their husbands are prepared to face the world. They make sure that their husbands are well fed, are well rested, are well taken care of. That their children are well educated, well, uh, uh, um, uh, same thing, healthy, that kind of thing. Why? Because she is making and growing and developing the next generation of Christians who will go out there and start conquering sin under the name of Jesus Christ. We move forward in the world because God said, "Let there, you want to sin? The whole world finds that sin and through time man has started taking care of things. Now, listen to me. Not sinful man, but godly men. Not under their own power, but under the power of Jesus Christ who died on the cross. 
said, this world belongs to God. <coughs> and then women... I like the gasoline. We're feeding that, pushing it, making sure it's okay. I always said women are like Corvettes. You know, they're beautiful. They're 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 fast. They're 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 works of art. Men are bulldozers. They're not meant to be pretty. They're meant to be ugly. But in that analogy. Women are what caused the bulldozer to go. You take care of your family. You serve them. You love them. Don't worry, I'm, I'll beat up on the men in a little bit. That their main priority should be at home. Now there again, like I said, is it sinful for a woman to work out of home? No. And I don't want anybody to feel have their conscience bound by that. Is it a sin to allow your work to take precedence over your family in your home? Yes. Just like it's a sin for a man to allow his job to become the main priority in his life over his family. If the man has quit supplying for his family and bringing glory to God and he's just working a job, then he's sinful. If a woman has quit uh, uh, taking care of the home to work, then she's sinful. But that doesn't mean that if she has a job outside of the home, she's sinful. But she has to keep her priorities straight. Everybody does. Becky works, and I don't just mean for Brock's improvements. She, she babysits. That brings in extra income. She does my paperwork. She sends out invoices and receipts and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not trying to paint that picture. I'm not trying to play that fundamentalist guy who says if you, you know, if you ain't at home barefoot wearing a skirt that covers the ankles, then you're in sin. But you do need to prioritize what is important to you. What is important to you? Kind. A woman should be kind. Being subject to her own husband. Here we go again. How many women have taken out the will you love, honor, and obey your husband. You're to be subject to him. Not, pay mind to this too, subject to their own husband. How many wives are being told what to do by someone else's husband? How many wives are being told what to do by somebody else's husband? You go to work, and your boss says, this has to be done by this time. And you look at your husband and you say, sorry, I can't have dinner. 
I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And now you're telling your husband that you can't do all these things which are required because somebody else, some other husband is telling your wife what to do. How many wives would listen to a pastor before they listen to their own husband? Bump, bump, bump. Pastor said, bump, 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 bump. Who are they submitting to? The doctor said, the lawyer said, this person, that person, the expert said. Who are you submitting to? The world says, who are you submitting to? You only have one authority to, to, to submit above your husband, and that is the Lord himself. So if your husband says, I want you to go out and commit this horrific sin, you have the right to say no because you submit to Christ first. There again, you don't hear, submit to your own husband if he's intelligent, makes good money, he does all these things right. You submit to your husband. If you weren't willing to submit to him biblically, listen to me, if you weren't willing to submit to him biblically, you shouldn't have married him. Now, you're here. Now, you need to be obedient to God. It wasn't, more than likely it wasn't your husband who said, you have to submit to me. It's the scripture that says you need to submit to your husband. Your own husband. Not other people's husbands. Not other men. Not other women. But your husband. We live in a, a day and age to where, especially the, the working at home and submitting to your husband part of this, even the purity part, the loving... Outside of maybe being kind, every bit of this is, is, is repugnant. It's, it's ugly. It's nasty. Why? Because we live in a world that says that women have rights now. Dagnabbit. The women's liberation movement is based in demonic. It's demonic. Anything that tells you to kill your baby so that you can go to work is demonic. Anything that tells you to go kill your babies so that you can finish college is demonic. Anything that tells you to really embrace feminism, you need to embrace lesbianism, is demonic. Anything that says your autonomy is more important than the, the nuclear family that God designed is demonic. So why is the church, ladies, I don't need an answer right now, but I want you to think about this. Why has the church allowed for this demonic ideology to take root in it? The Bible says that the pulpits for men, how many pulpits are filled by women right now? Why? Well, she can teach and... And, and, and I don't see no difference between men and women. You don't see a difference between men and women, huh? How about what the Bible says? 
Oh, and you're supposed to be teaching it. You can't even, you, you don't even understand basics. And you're going to stand up there and preach. No. I've made a lot of women mad whenever they said, so-and-so's got a woman preacher. And I've looked at them and I said, there ain't no such thing as a woman preacher. They ain't got a pastor because there ain't no such thing. I do it right mean too. Just to, that, That's not biblical either. I should, I should admit that. My attitude isn't always biblical when I do that. But it is funny to watch people freak out sometimes. God created the household to be ran by the man. And because the church is supposed to be intertwined and a part of the body of Christ, the church needs to be ran by men. And the scripture tells us, husband and one wife. Every, every time we talk about church leadership, it's men. Now, I want to make one more little detour, and then we'll jump back here. I, just, I was talking about women's theology and that kind of stuff, and you'll hear me talk about communism and that kind of thing from time to time. And, and I know that there's people who have thought, I wish he'd quit talking about politics. I'm not talking about politics. Communism is a religious system. Feminism is a religious system. I'm talking about spiritual matters that have influenced government. God, there's a spiritualness to everything. We've, we've been lied to and we think, well, that's just secularism. That's just this. That's just that. No, there is a religious aspect to all this. There is a spiritual aspect to all this. Because ultimately, you have people who want to bring glory to God and everybody else wants to tear down the throne of God. And so I don't bring these things up to be political. I bring them up to tell you that there's a spiritual aspect to this and the world tries to hide it, but it is there. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking God. I'm talking Antichrist who would have you to believe that it's all about women being able to work and it ain't about murdering your babies to a false idol. I'm talking Karl Marx, who just despised God. And his whole philosophy, his whole economic system came out of a hate for God and a hate for the church. I'm talking about Saul, Saul, um, Saul what, Jake? It's not Lewinsky, that was Olinsky. Uh, Saul Alinsky, who wrote Rules for Radical, who all your liberal, and I mean the, 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 the communistic liberal government figures have read Saul Alinsky's book, Rules for Radicals, and he dedicates it to the devil. Feminism says that the real Christ in the story of Adam and Eve and mankind was the serpent for allowing, for tempting Adam and Eve, especially Eve, to eat the apple. I'm not 
bringing these things up so that I can just go on a political rant. I'm bringing these things up so that we can see the spiritual nature of everything that's around us. So that we may be able to combat these things and see it as something for what it is and not hide and say, everything's okay, everything's okay, everything's okay. Going back to my first point, we've read about the old men and the young women, and it says this, so that the world, I mean, excuse me, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Why should women be focused more on their house than their career? So that the word of God will not be dishonored. Why should older and younger men be dignified so that the word of God will not be dishonored? Why should older women teach younger women and older men disciple younger men? And why should we go forward into the world living in the example that has been written here? And the reason is so that God word will not be dishonored we say we represent god's word how many people will say i don't go to church because of the hypocrites why because in the past the church has done a pitiful job of making sure the world cannot that, that word of god will not be dishonored the church in our culture has allowed the world to see us sin against God so much that they just assume that everybody there is a liar and hypocrite, in which to a certain extent it's true, but I'm going I'm to clarify this. I will tell you I'm a sinner. I'm not trying to act like you need to come to church so you can be holy like me. You need to come to church so that you can know Christ so that you can learn about Christ, and he will transform you into a holier being. Ultimately, you will be transformed at death or Jesus returning to a perfect person. But until then, it's a struggle. Until then, it's a battle. Until then, we have to strive. And then the, the, the other part of that is, the more modern part of that is you have, you have the 1940s, 50s, 60s where the church, you know, everybody wore a suit, everybody had to look just like this, everybody had to act just like this. It was very legalistic, it was very, I don't know why I keep doing the suit action, but it was very legalistic, it was very, you had to look, sound, and act identical to this. Well, m my parents' generation said, that's, a, that, that, that's not the way God wants it. And so they've swung to the opposite end. And they said, you can do whatever you want, just come to church. God loves you just the way you are. That's why Vince Gill and, um, huh? What's her name, Vince Gill's? Amy Grant. Vince Gill and Amy Grant can cheat on their spouses 
have premarital sex and then go, we love Jesus. Here's two, one's in the country world, one's in the gospel world, and they, 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 they cheat on their spouse. Now, this is an old example, but it happens every day. They cheat on their spouses, they have affairs, they, they, they live outside of the glory of God, and they say, it's all okay. What have they done? They have brought dishonor to the word of God. God loved you enough to die on a cross for you. He also loves you enough that if you want to live in rebellion to him, you can die and go to hell. His love didn't change in either of those situations. So do not bring dishonor to the word of God. We say, do not take the Lord's name in vain. We typically mean that in a sense of don't be like, you know, uh, you know, the word God followed by a curse word or, you know, just go, you know, uh, kids, especially teenagers, you hear, God, God. You know. That's what we typically mean when we say don't take the Lord's name in vain. But in reality, every time you tell someone you're a Christian and then you act in an ungodly way, you have taken his name in vain. You have carried in vain God's name and his word. So we live and we love and we act in such a manner that we will not bring dishonor to God's word. Amen? Likewise, urge young men to be sensible. There again, sensible. In all things, show yourself an example of good deeds. Young men, I'm not going to list a whole list of things. I'm going to tell you that in every single aspect of your life, you are to be thinking of one thing primarily, and that's the glory of God. Because we are an example to the world to what Christ has done on the cross. Do you want to be an example of what Christ has done on the cross to the world? Most of us would say no. Even I've said, it scares me to say, follow me because I follow Christ like Paul did. The truth is, you don't have a choice. If God has saved you, you are an example. You may be a horrible example. And you may bring, be bringing God's name through the mud. But you are an example, and you should have every good deed. You can flick back to verse uh, 2, and all the way to verse 2, all the way to here, you can take everything that's been said and apply it to yourself. Except for maybe the love your husband part. Love your wives. Every bit of it is applied to young men. What are you watching on the internet? 
What are you watching on the internet? Well, it ain't porn. Okay. Might it, is, is it one of those things that might as well be? I scroll through Facebook. I see what kind of crap's out there. What are you watching on the internet? When you get home, last week, I went on a rant about how men ought to come home tired. Let me clarify that a little bit. Men should be so enthusiastic about conquering the world in the name of Jesus Christ. Not for yourself, but for the name of Christ that he has placed you here to be an example to the world and that you've taken that so seriously and that you have done that so well that when you get home, you're tired. I didn't mean that to be you have to go and, you know, do strenuous labor all day and then come home tired. If, there again, if your job is at a computer, do it to the point where you're exhausted because you did it for the glory of God. Kids, do your, do your school for the glory of God. Do not allow for the world to see you and think, he's supposed to be a Christian. She's supposed to be a Christian. The world is looking at you and watching you. Uh, uh, Jacob and Becky's aunt died, and since she's died, the family has come together a little bit more, right? Uh, that happens, you know, you start to stray apart, somebody dies, everybody goes, oh, we don't see each other enough, and then you start visiting each other more, for at least for a certain amount of time. Well, there are ungodly people, I, I'm trying to be careful how I say this because I don't want to slander or be ugly to them because we love them to death, but they're not raising their children in the admonition of God. That's the best way I can put that without being ugly. They're not raising their children in the admonition of God. So you know what happens whenever one of them tells his daughter to let's go, she says, no! Who's in charge there? Is it loving to allow your daughter to be in charge? And yet they watch our family, right? Why? Because they know we're Christian. So what are they doing? Not only are they watching, they're not trying to pick up tips. They're not trying to pick up, they're not, they're not saying, well, you know, he's kind of like Joel Osteen and he does this real well. No, they're watching us, waiting for us to screw up. They're wanting my child to look at me and say, no. Why? Because they can feel justified in their behavior. So they can feel justified in their behavior. Why? Because we men, if you're leading your house well, should be able to be able to bring glory to God even when there are heathens around you wanting you to screw up. Purity in doctrine. In other words, men, you should be a scholar in your house. 
I don't have time to read the Bible like I ought to. Then you ain't got time to breathe. If you don't have time to read your Bible, I pray to God you're not eating. Because being fed spiritually through the Word of God is more important than your fat stomach. And that's coming from somebody with a fat stomach. If you're not praying to God, I pray that you have nothing to drink. Because drinking from the wealth of salvation that is only brought to you by the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit is more important than whatever you're doing. Love God. No doctrine. If somebody walks up to you with some wonky doctrine, you should not be confused by it, men. If somebody says that God really isn't a trinity, but that he kind of... Uh, he, he works in modes, right? So he's the Father when he's in heaven sitting on the throne. He's the Son when he's walking around here on earth. And he's the Holy Spirit whenever he's floating around in spirit form. You should know that, that that's wrong. You should be able to easily say, Garbage. But if you're not reading your Bible, you'll fall for the tricks and the, dis, the, 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 the um, deceptions of the world. I don't have time. Liar. I don't understand it. That's not the point. It's boring. Repent. This... This here, this is our lifeline to God. Know it, breathe it, drink it, eat it. But whatever you do, men, do not forsake it. Dignified. If you're not in the Word of God, how do you know what digni dignity is? You don't. Sound speech beyond, beyond reproach. If you're not in the Word of God, you're not going to know what sound speech is above reproach. You're not going to have sound speech without, above, uh, beyond reproach. That doesn't just mean don't be cussing, which that's a part of it. But what are you telling your friends at work? Are you laughing at dumb, dirty jokes? Or are you talking in such a way that it puts off everybody else? But then I won't have friends. I don't care. You bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there again, I admit, that doesn't always look like 
Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? But what it does look like, and this goes back to, 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 to pure doctrine, is whenever somebody says something like, you know, I'm thinking about leaving my wife. She just ain't doing this, 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 and this. You can say, you need Christ, and you are failing at home. Well, I won't have friends that way. That's not the point. Is your life based around making friends? Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to admit that, but we're all scared of running people off. Nobody wants to admit that they have a fear of man, but we all do, including myself. <coughs> Make sure your speech is above reproach. This is why. Now, we went through the list of everything else, and it was so that the word of God cannot be, would not be dishonored. The next thing, these things just build on each other, okay? The next thing is, so that the opponent will not put, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. If you bring honor to the, to the word of God, Bring honor to the Word of God. When you do that, the opponents of God, which are out there, will not be able to say ugly things about God, will not be able to say ugly things about you, because if they did, the world would say, that's a lie. And they would be put to shame, because you've been an example. <coughs> you've been an example to the world of Christ and they try to put shame to Christ and they could not. They said, look, he's, he, he's, a, he's a horrible person. What, what's he done wrong? Mm. But we hate him. Pilate says, I can't find anything that he's done wrong. Oh, you want him dead? Well, I'll wash my hands up. Which was a cowardly thing to do, but he washes his hands from it. He says, I don't want the responsibility of putting Christ to death. And over the years, we have seen the enemies of God been put to shame time after time after time. This applies to everyone basically urge your bond slaves or urge bond slaves in other words slaves we can easily replace that word with if you are an employer or an or if you're an well both employer or employee but mainly talking to the employees so if you work for somebody right i own my own business but at the same time i work for every single customer that we do a job for. If you work for somebody, to be subject to their own master. What does that mean? Well, that's going to look different. Back then, you remember the, the, the analogy God, Christ said, do not, you can't have two masters. You, you'll love one and hate the other. So you can't have two masters. In other words, you need to be subject to one master. 
in everything. Now there again, we have to be putting boundaries here. We have to be putting, in other words, you can't allow for your boss to be more important to you than your family, right? We already established that. But if your boss says, I need this paperwork done. You do that paperwork. You don't sit there and go, my boss is so stupid. And you may be right, he may be stupid, or she may be stupid, and you shouldn't be doing that. That's their job. That, that's very likely. I've worked in places where that was the case. But you do what your employer says. Now, there again, with the boundaries of the relationship, you don't, you don't allow your work to, to take precedent over your family, men and women. To be well-pleasing. In other words, show up on time. Show up to work on time. Then when you get there, actually work. Do your job. Not argumentative. Now, I'm going to be honest. When I worked for other people, this was very tough for me. Very tough for me. I'll give you an example. I remember I was working at Hackney, and they said, y'all don't need to be slowing down on that end, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Because there wasn't nothing else coming, right? And we wanted to work. We didn't want to get laid off. So you stretch out this project as long as possible. That, that's what we were doing because we didn't want to get laid off. And they said, uh, get these things out of here. Won't nobody be laid off? And the very next day, they come around and they laid off a handful of people. Now, I wasn't one of them. But I did look at my supervisor and I said, you said nobody will get laid off. You said that. And I started calling them out. Every time, every time, I, I was fed up. I just started calling them out. Why? Because I'm prideful. Let's be honest about it. That was about my pride. That wasn't about all that other stuff. It was a place where I could say, I am morally superior here. And in doing so, I was a sinner. Don't be argumentative. Some bosses don't want any feedback whatsoever. Now, in my mind, they suck. But that's the way they are. Other bosses don't mind having feedback. And you can give some feedback. But if you're in that kind of relationship to where you can have that, you don't need to, if they don't like your, your thought process, they don't like your proposal, they don't like, you don't just sit there and argue with them until you're blue in the face. They're responsible. Guess who's responsible for their, they are. So if, you're, if your plan was a great idea and they pushed it away for whatever reason and it cost the company uh, $100,000, that's their fault. That's their fault. They're responsible for that company and to God for what they've done, not you. You're responsible for you. We live in a society today that says, 
you're to be responsible for everybody but yourself. You're to be responsible for everybody. You see somebody litter, they littered, they littered, oh, litter bug. But at the same time, you do something wrong and you think, well, I can't help it. I can't help it. I've got issues. You know, whatever those issues may be. I've got a reason. I've got an excuse. It's not my fault. But let me find somebody on Facebook that disagrees with me about hair color. And I'm going to light them up. Don't be argumentative. Not pilfering. I didn't say that right. Pilfering. I've said it a hundred times and now I can't say it. Other words, don't be, don't be taking office pins just because nobody will notice. Don't, don't be throwing about a dozen nuts and bolts in your pocket when you walk off the shop floor because nobody will notice. They got thousands of them. What do they care? Well, the Lord cares that you're a thief and you represent him. And then it jumps from don't, don't, don't to do. But showing all good faith. If you work for somebody, you work for them. If you don't like it, change it. They couldn't, they couldn't do that. I don't like working at Hardy's. Go work for McDonald's. Go start your own restaurant. That's hard. Yeah, it is, but, you know, so is work. By, by its very nature, it's meant to be aggravating and hard. So we live in a time and age where we can do that. They couldn't. They were slaves. Their employee-employer relationship looked like this guy owned me. And so there's no escape, and yet I have to live this way anyhow. So no matter how bad your situation is at work, no matter how good of an excuse you have to be argumentative or stealing pens or whatever it may be, whatever kind of excuse you come up with, you still have to remember that your first and foremost responsibility is the glory of God and that if you're argumentative, if you're pilfering, uh, if you're, if you're um, not being well-pleasing, so you're being slow on the job intentionally. That's not bringing glory to God. Here's what it says in verse 10. So that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. So that the word of God will not be dishonored. We live this way so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So that the opponents will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And ultimately, as it builds up, it lands here. So that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect so that we live the way we do, so that men and women can know God. We live the way we do so that you can be a light 
in this world and salt to flavor it. We don't live this way because we think that God will make us rich if we live this way. We don't live this way because these are good biblical principles to follow if we want a healthy lifestyle. We don't live this way because we feel like God will strike us down if we don't and we become a bunch of legalists. We live this way so that God's word is honored, so that those who are anti-God are shamed, and so that those who are lost and headed to a pit of hell and damnation may know Christ and come to salvation. That is why we live in a way that brings God glory. That is why we live in such a way, so that men and women who are lost can know God. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Do you work five days a week so you can have Friday and Saturday and Sunday to, to, to act like an idiot? Do you live the way you do because you feel like you've been trapped somehow? And now you have to live this way or everything falls apart around you? Do you live this way because you think that you're trying to work your way into a good relationship with Christ? Or are you doing it for the glory of God? Are you doing it so that his word will be honored? Are you doing it so that those who are anti-God will be shamed and those who do not know him can know him? Why do you do what you do? Why do you live the way you live? All of us have places, including myself, I'm not trying to stand up here and act like I am holier than thou by any means. All of us have places to where we live life because we are selfish and we are not interested in God's glory, but we are interested in something for ourselves. I don't know what that looks like for you. I do know what it looks like for me. And the Bible says to repent of that and draw nearer to God. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us, for making us yours. Dear God, we thank you for just giving us the ability to live a life that brings you glory. Living a life to where we are no longer slaves to sin and bondage but that we have been set free to see you work in miraculous ways in our lives and others. Dear Heavenly Father, please convict us of where we fall short in this. Break our hearts where we break yours. Show us Show us how, and you have in your word, but how we can make sure your word is honored 
so that we can see those who are against you come to shame, having nothing to say about us. And so that those who are around us will come to adorn the doctrines of God our Savior in every respect. Coming to know you, loving you, and proceeding to walk in faith with you from that point on because of our words and our deeds, because of your spirit working in their life and you using us as a tool to harvest who are yours. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your love, mercy, and grace. Amen.